All right, testing, testing. All right, tonight we're going to talk about regeneration. Uh, we are in, uh, we've been moving through this uh, Wayne Grudem's book on Bible doctrine. Uh, we're in part four of that, of that book, which is a chapter, which, which is a part, a section on um, salvation, basically. So you guys have, and I missed a couple of the last few lessons because I agreed to sing with the choir at the Christmas uh, musical. Um, so I missed some of the last ones, but you guys were talking about things like common grace, election. Who was here for the election discussion? How'd that go? It went two sessions. Two sessions, okay. I'm not even sure. I, I don't know if we're on track of where we're supposed to be or we are, okay. So y'all must have moved two sessions quick. And then you guys did a session on the gospel call. Tonight we're on regeneration, which is chapter 20. And then further in this part on, on salvation, we'll, we'll talk about things like conversion. We'll talk about justification and adoption. Uh, we'll talk about sanctification, perseverance of the saints, and then death, the intermediate state, and then glorification. I'm not sure that I would consider myself qualified to teach on this subject. Um, Bill Wagner and I are, are great friends, and Bill and I had a, we have a long-standing joke. Um, both of us believe strongly in this book. I mean, every, every word in this book is true, but we, we, we kid each other a lot of times when we, when we talk about um, God's sovereignty and salvation and free will. We get into a, a, a kind of a tug of war over those kinds of things. And as I was going through this lesson, I really felt like this topic is closely related to election. We're going to talk about tonight how we have almost no part, not almost, we have no part in regenerating ourselves. We have no part in regeneration. It's a work totally of God, much like the topic of election would be. So we're going to talk about regeneration. Now, this is not refrigeration. This is regeneration. And probably the best, best place to start is with a definition. So I don't know who, y'all read the chapter? Everybody up to speed, sort of? Who's got a definition for regeneration? You got one, David? Yeah, I'm looking at it right in the book. All right, let's hear it. According to the book, it says, Regeneration is a secret act of God of which he imparts new spiritual life to us. Okay, so Grudem tells us that regeneration is the work of God. He gives us new spiritual, he gives us new life. He calls it spiritual life. And he, he goes on further in that, in that def definition or understanding of what uh, regeneration is by calling it born again. Now that's that's a, a word you and I would have used when we were growing up. Right. We've heard people, you know, ask, "Are you born again? Have you been born again?" It's talking about regeneration. The interesting part of that word or that definition is that he he used the word secret. Now why is this? Why is it secret? Why do you think he calls it a secret act of God? It's not secret from the standpoint that we don't know anything about it, right? It's, we don't even, it's, it's not that we don't know that it exists, so it's not hidden from us. How would you say it's secret? We can't earn it. Okay. It's something you can set a goal for. Right. What else? Trying to obey, I don't think we fully understand it. I think that's probably the biggest, biggest point. 
No matter how hard we study, no matter what we read in Scripture, there's, there's parts of that, that that are just going to seem kind of hidden to us. It's, it's a mystery. You know, maybe he would be better to have said it's the mysterious act of God. Um, but, and, and he says that he gives us new life. And we're going to look at some scriptures together, and, and then I'll assign some later. But if you've got your Bible, look at 2 Corinthians. And we're talking about this, this new life that God imparts. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Fifteen through eighteen. Whoever gets there first, you can just read that. Second Corinthians five, fifteen through eighteen. Okay, Audrey. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their faith died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Okay. So those verses tell us that when we're, because we're considered in Christ, we've been given new life. And then verse 18 says, where did this new life come from? It comes from God. So that supports our, our definition that we've made. It's this new life that God, God gives um, as, as we're found to be in Christ. We're going to spend a lot of time in John chapter 3, so turn over there. And I want to read that to you. And we're going to start with verse 1 and go through verse 8. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So this is kind of the foundation verses. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to this quite a bit tonight. <clears throat> But that gives us a picture of, of kind of this foundation in, in regeneration. Nicodemus being a Pharisee, he was a ruler of the Jews, meaning he was part of the Sanhedrin. He came to Jesus by night, probably because he didn't want to be seen by others, and um, he wanted to, to ask Jesus this question. And he recognized Jesus' authority because of all the works that he had been doing. He had been healing people, and, and he recognized that, that Jesus was from God. And it's interesting that Jesus didn't even let him, you know, get very far down the line without Jesus getting straight to the point. Jesus said, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, unless he's regenerated, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So we'll, we'll come back to that as we talk through this lesson tonight. One of the key points in the definition is that regeneration is totally a work of God. Now there are other parts of 
our salvation that we do participate in? What would that be? Can you think of an example of, of our salvation that we participate in? Repentance. Repentance, okay. Prayer is certainly a part of our our salvation experience when we confess, right? Baptism. Okay. What about faith? We demonstrate faith. We have to we have to believe. What about sanctification? That process by which we continue to grow in Christ in our, in our salvation. We we participate by praying and being around other believers and reading the Word. So we participate in that. Perseverance. Perseverance of the saints. You know it's. It's easy in the Christian life to, to bump up against a hard time and, and to be tempted to give up. But part of being a, a believer is to continue on and to persevere in the faith. And so we, we actively participate in that. But regeneration is totally an act of, of God. Turn back a page to John 1, verse 12 and 13. Can someone read that for us? Okay, so what does verse 12 tell us? He's talking about those who are believers, right? Mm -hmm. Those who've received him, those who've believed. He gave, the, he gave the right to be called children of God, those who believe in his name. And then what does it say, verse 13? Who were born. Who were born. So they were born again. They have this new birth, this new <coughs> life. And it's past tense. It's something that's already happened. And then he goes on to describe that it's not of blood, so it's not passed on by your physical birth. This regeneration doesn't come through your physical birth, through your parents. He says it's not of the will of the flesh, so it's not something you work at. You know, it's not something you can just go do and make it happen. It's not the will of the man. So it's not something you can think about and, and reason in your mind and make happen. No, he says it's of God. So the work of re regeneration is totally of God. Now back in the verse that we were just looking at in John 3 when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, in verse 5 he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now there are a lot of um, different opinions, I guess you would say, about what that verse means where, where Jesus spoke of the, being born of the water and the Spirit. And some people think that Maybe he's referring to a physical birth where, you know, there's that discharge of water in, in, in being born. Um, some people think that maybe Jesus is referring to being physically washed from our sins, to be, to be clean, cleansed from our sins. Um, but I think it's more reasonable to expect that Jesus was telling, or maybe some people think that maybe Jesus was talking about the baptism that John the Baptist had been had started performing. But he probably wouldn't have had much understanding about any of those things. Jesus was probably trying to, to get Nicodemus to understand something or to think about something that he already knew about. And so I think this probably is a reference to Ezekiel 36. Something that Nicodemus would have been very familiar with. 
in verses that you guys have heard, where Ezekiel said, then, and he's, he's, he's prophesying for God, and he says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from your, your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove a heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe all my ordinances. The one thing I wanted you to notice about that, those set of verses is how many times did you hear, I, 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 I will. I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will cleanse you from your filthiness and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new, new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart. Of, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and ordinances. So five times God is saying, I'm going to do this. Just another indication to us of, of God's, uh, of the work of regeneration being totally a work of God. Remember just another chapter over um, when God is, takes Ezekiel to the valley of the dry bones. There's these decayed, dry, dusty bones, and what happens? Yeah. And who did that? God did it. So we see that regeneration is, is totally a work of God. So which, which member of the Trinity does the work? Um, let's look at, um, we've already got the John verses. Um, JC, look up Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. Sam, Colossians 2, 12 through 13. Steve, James 1, 17 through 18. And 1 Peter 1, 3. So we're, we're thinking about the question, which member of the Trinity does the work of regeneration? I'm going to read John 3, 8 again. We're in John 3 a lot tonight. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So, if it, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So that verse gives us an answer to the question of which member of the Trinity does the work, the Spirit. Now let's look at Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God, uh, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when uh, we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By the grace, uh, you have been saved. Okay. Sam? Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all of our sins. Okay, so both Ephesians and Colossians say God does it. God made you, but God, and you said God made you alive. Okay? Who had James 1, 17 through 18? I got it. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Okay, so 
the verse, first verse is talking about God, and then it says that he, he brought us to life. So God did it. we got three verses that say God. 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay. So who does, who does that say is a, is a, brings about renewal? Jesus. Right. So we can confidently say that all members of the Trinity take part in that. And, and why not? I mean, the Trinity is all, it's, it's, it's one God in three persons. So we can have confidence that the Trinity itself does the work of regeneration. Now, in some of your other lessons, did you guys talk about effectual calling? Was that in, <coughs> was that in the uh, election lesson? Okay. So a working definition for effective calling is an act of God, the Father, speaking through human proclamation in which the gospel he summons people to himself in such a way that they respond to the, to the gospel. So what that's saying is when God calls us, we're obligated to respond. God's call is effective. It works. Okay. So when, when regeneration occurs, what that's telling us is that we must respond. It's a call that leads to a response. Let's see. Did you read Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 a moment ago? Is that yes. what? Okay. I'll read Ephesians 4 through 5, I think. Okay. Are you still there? No. Go back to Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. What are you, I can't. Two, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. 1 through 3. 1 through 3. <clears throat> and you were dead in the trespasses of sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now uh, at work in the sons of disobedience. Uh, verse 3. Verse 3, okay. Among whom we all uh, once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of the poor, like the rest of mankind. Okay. So those verses are telling us how bad we were. That, they were telling us what condition we were in before God called us. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. We walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power, um, the, the spirit of the sons of disobedience was working in our lives. We lived according to the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh, and our minds were by nature children of wrath. That, that tells us what condition we were in before God called us. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, then, by contrast... It says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then 1 Corinthians 2, 14 says, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. So what these verses are telling us is, we were dead, we were doomed, 
And these, and these verses from Corinthians are telling us that the word is foolishness. We can't accept it on our own without God acting upon our lives. The, the natural man does not accept the, the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolish. He can't accept them because they're spiritually appraised. But we see that, um, that these things are working closely together so closely that we might think they're the same. Let's, let's look at 1 Peter 1, 23 through 25. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. So God's effective calling speaks powerfully into our lives. God is working to make us alive, to make us alive. We sometimes would refer to, we might refer to this calling as irresistible grace. This is a term we use to describe this, this combination of God's calling and our following. God regenerates us by giving us new life in such a manner that we respond accordingly. I was, um, you guys were in Sunday School Sunday and we were talking about uh, Moses and the plagues and I was thinking Mark was going to be here tonight, but he asked a question in our Sunday school class. You remember, the scripture says that God told Moses that he was going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And Mark asked the question in Sunday school, did God harden Pharaoh's heart or did Pharaoh harden Pharaoh's heart? Yes. And I, that was the answer I gave. <laughs> I just smiled and laughed when he asked that question. Um, but it gives us a picture of of how God works in our lives. Things that we think we're doing, God is really doing, and I'm, I'm comfortable with his sovereignty. Um, Gruden cautions us on this, using this term irresistible grace, not to think that we don't have any, um, any part in free will, because scripture clearly says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him. So, it's this both ends, sort of in the same way that God hardened Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh hardened Pharaoh's heart. It's, it's both of these working together, even when we can't understand it and explain it. So let's look at the exact nature of regeneration. And the first thing, and we've already talked about, we have to admit that it's a mystery. We know that it happens. We see the results, but we can't exactly know what God is doing and, and what exactly changes in our lives. But let's look at what we do know. Ephesians 2.1, which we've read several times. It says, we were dead in our sins and trespasses. <coughs> Verses 4 and 5, so we were dead. This is what happens in regeneration. We were, we were once dead. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says, but God, being rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. So we're given life. And then John 3, 8 says that it's mysterious. And Jesus uses the example. Remember when he was talking to Nicodemus, he talked about how you can see the wind. You see 
that it's blowing the trees. You can, you can tell that it's there, but you don't know where it came from or where it's going. So there's this bit of mystery that, that surrounds what it's doing. And it happens instantaneously. Um, this event, this regeneration happens once in a person's life. Once you're made alive, once you're made new, a new creation, you don't need for that to happen again. It happens only once. And we may not know the exact moment when it happens. Probably don't know the exact moment when it happens. And I think about mine and Diane's examples. I was, I grew up, I, I went to church nine months before I was born and was raised in the church. And I remember in, in about the third grade, and my Sunday school teachers had an emphasis on salvation and they told us about how we were sinners and separated from God and God provided a savior and you needed to turn from your sins and repent and believe. And, and so there, there were these steps to salvation and I remember coming to grips in my mind that yeah, that was, I believe that. But it had been a long process of growing up in the church. I had heard those stories over and over again. And when I went forward and made this, this decision public, I, I expressed my, my faith in God. You know, the day before I was saved and the day after I was saved, you probably wouldn't have seen that much of a, a big of a difference in my life. I was, I was a rule follower anyway to start with before. But... You know, I just, I just wasn't this hardened criminal who had led this terrible life of sin, and then my con conversion experience uh, changed all that. Now, I think about Diane's experience, and, and it's, it's not all that different because she wasn't a hardened criminal either, but she came to, to true salvation as an adult. And we see in adults sometimes this, this greater change. We see a stark difference in their lives. You know, we might see from an adult believer this really great assurance in what they've done. They really believe in this change that, that has happened. They take a, a, a great delight in worship. They enjoy being in worship and, and expressing their, their gratitude to God. A desire for Christian fellowship is something that, that we see that changes after regeneration. A desire to read the Bible, desire to pray, or maybe behavior change. Maybe there, you know, there was this, this drastic, dramatic change in life but even still, when we, when we see that, we don't know the exact time that that occurs. Well, Gruden then talks about the order of regeneration, the, the fact that regeneration itself comes before saving faith. And he says there's a, a spiritual awakening that must occur that gives us the ability to, to express that faith. So what he says is... That we experience the effective call, and that's the gospel message going forward, where we might hear it. Then there's regeneration, which we've already said is a work of God. We're made alive. And then finally, we have a faith response. Our faith is demonstrated. <coughs> we repent and turn. And so this is, is, this is the order in which we see them. Now these things happen or can happen very quickly. We may hear the gospel message regenerated and we express that faith so quickly that we may think it's all one event 
But just from a logic standpoint, because we're dead in our sins, God calls us, he makes us alive, which gives us the ability to respond. Now, I found a video that I want to try to, if I can figure out the technology. Technology of the power button. big John MacArthur fan and he does a good job of explaining the order in which these things occur. Regeneration. Now we're talking about what theologians call the order of salvation. Um, salvation happens at once. It is a single miracle. You, uh, you repent. You have faith. You are justified, you are converted, you are redeemed, you are ransomed, you are adopted, you are sanctified, and that's all one great miracle. But if you look closely at it, and you break down that miracle into logical parts, what is reasonable, you have to conclude that regeneration comes before faith because if I am dead in trespasses and sin if I am in the darkness if I hate God if I have no ability to know God if I am uh, blind to all divine truth and this is how Paul in Ephesians defines the Gentiles the non-believers, if I have no capacity for anything, then I cannot even believe until the Spirit of God has awakened my heart. So from a reality perspective, that's all one great miracle. But when you dig deeper, the initial work is the work of God in regeneration. I'll give you an illustration of it from the third chapter of John. Um, Jesus says you must be born again to Nicodemus. You must be born again. You must be regenerated. Or you must be born anothen. You must be born from above. Nicodemus wonders, how do, how do I get in the kingdom of God? And Jesus says you have to be born from above. Now, that illustration makes crystal clear how this works. What contribution did you make to your birth? You make any contribution to your birth. Nobody makes a contribution to their birth. You didn't exist. And that's why the Lord chose that. That is the one thing that you had no part of in your life. Your birth. And that is the one thing that you have no part of in the spiritual realm. You have to be born from above. You have no part in your physical birth. You have no part in your spiritual birth. Those are works of God, apart from anything that you have done. So I believe our Lord is saying that the new birth is the work of God. And then he goes on to say, how, Nicodemus says, how can this happen? And the Lord gives a very strange answer. He says, the wind blows where it wills. And you, you see the results and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it's coming from and you don't know where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. 
which is our Lord's way of saying, you can observe it, but you have no part in it. You can see the wind, you can see the effects of the wind, you can feel the wind, you can't control the wind. The Lord is simply saying to Nicodemus, look, you need to be born from above, but you're not in control of that any more than you are the wind. So I think scripture is abundantly clear that before you can genuinely repent and put your trust in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God has already done a work to awaken your dead heart and to give you life. Okay? Okay. <laughs> now, one of the really powerful things to me in understanding that God does that, and Sam and I were talking about this on our way up the stairs, you know, recognizing that God does this work in our lives with us having no part of it. What, what does that, what do you think, what does that do? Does that prod you to think in a certain way? It humbles us. Humbles us, right. That's a good one. What I was thinking of, it really drives you to your knees to worship, right? I had no part in this and God did it. And how wonderful and how awesome he is to have done this in my life really drives you to worship. Well, Gruden concludes the chapter with the results of regeneration. What are, what are, what are the results? We're going to look at some, some verses. Uh, Scott, you got your Bible? Um, 1 John 3, 9. All of these are in 1 John. Uh, Jason, 1 John 2, 29. Bob, 1 John 4, 7. Aaron, you got yours? Yeah. Uh, 1 John 5.18 and Stuart Galatians 5.22 and 23. So, so be listening as we read these verses, be listening for the results of regeneration. You need yours again? I don't remember which one I gave you. All right, Scott, you got 1 John 3, 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Okay, so those born of God have the ability to eliminate or remove continual sin from their lives. It won't be a pattern of your life to be, to be, to be found in a continual sin. That's a result of being regenerated. What about 1 John 2, 29? If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Okay. So being able, being regenerate means that we're able to practice righteousness. Gives us that ability, that power. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Okay. So we have the ability to love like God, to have a Christ-like love for, for people because of our regeneration. 1 John 5.18 We know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin, but the one who is born of God um, keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. Okay, who's the evil one? Satan. Satan. So being regenerate means we have protection from Satan. And this is verse, verses that you guys are familiar with, Galatians 5.22-23. 
For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Okay. So when we're regenerate, when we've been regenerated, those fruits of the Spirit will be evident in our lives. And Grudem says that, that these are necessary results. What does he mean by that? What do you mean these are necessary results? <clears throat> Right. A truly uh, someone who God has changed will be unable not to demonstrate these characteristics, right? And so this is a good way, you know, if you had a friend or, or somebody who came to you and was questioning their salvation, these are places you could take them to say to look to examine your own life or their life to see how it, it, it aligns. So yeah, these, these things are necessary. They will be manifested in our lives. It will be so. So what is not evidence of regeneration? Let's all look at Matthew 7, 22 through 23. What is not evidence of regeneration? He said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And when you first read those, those list of things that, they, the, that these people are claiming they did, they sound great, don't they? They were prophesying in Jesus' name. They were casting out demons, performing signs and miracles. Are these signs of regeneration? Obviously not. They were doing them. They were at least claiming to do them. And what did Jesus tell them in verse 23? Depart from me. I never knew you. So these are obviously not evidence of regeneration. The evidence for regeneration is the, the changed character. Like James was saying this, the changed character traits in a person's life. They give evidence <coughs> of regeneration. Grudem concludes with, and I think we've already touched on these honestly, but he concludes with a couple of questions that I wanted you guys to think about. He said, what do you think about the fact that your regeneration was totally a work of God and that you contributed nothing to it? What do you think about that? I'm sorry? Pretty happy about it. Yeah, it's great. Again, it drives us to worship God. It means that, it means that I can't do anything to lose it. That's another great point. We didn't do anything to get it, and we can't do anything to, to lose it. Excellent. How does it make you feel toward yourself? How does it make you feel toward God? should make us grateful and should drive us to worship. The second question he asked was, if you or a friend who comes to you are not sure whether you have been born again, what would scripture encourage you to do in order to gain greater assurance or to be truly born again for the first time? (coughs) 
I think we would be encouraged to, to think about those lists of things that we just talked about that were uh, evidences of regeneration. We would look at our lives and see, are you in a pattern of continual sin? Is there a continual sin pattern that you just can't eliminate? Do you not practice righteousness? Is there not evidence of Christ-like love or protection from Satan or you feel attacked or the fruit of the Spirit? If those are not evidence in a, evident in a person's life, then, then that would you know, help us to understand the assurance that we have or lack of assurance that we have in our faith. It was a short chapter, but we're not getting out too much early. Could you restate that question? That okay, question. the second one. If you or a friend who comes to you are not sure whether you have been born again, what would scripture encourage you to do in order to gain greater assurance? or to be truly born again for the first time? Those are really two different questions. What would scripture encourage you to do in order to gain assurance of your regeneration? And what I said was to look at those things that regeneration creates in a person's life and if they're not there, that would indicate that you've not been born again. If they are there, it would give you assurance that, that you have been born again, that you have been regenerated. Yes, the thing that I was hung up on was there seemed to be a, a, a question in there about what can I do to be born again? And I think the answer to that scripturally is nothing. Right. Yeah, now the question was if you're not sure whether you have been born again. So if you had a friend who was experiencing doubt or questioning their own salvation, what would scripture encourage you to do to get the answer to your doubts? And I think it's to go back to these characteristics that, that regeneration puts into our lives. And if they're evident, then there's evidence of regeneration and born again. If they're not there, then... It's an, it's an indication that, it, that you've not been born again. But you're right. There's nothing I can do to make it happen. That's what we've been discussing. Correct. Good. Any other questions? Well, as I said earlier, Pastor Jerry, is he's, he's on his trip to Birmingham and doing his studies. He will not be here Sunday, so I think we have the privilege of hearing Luke preach this Sunday. And then next Wednesday, David is leading chapter 21 on conversion, faith, and repentance. So you guys come back and bring somebody with you. Let me pray and we'll, we'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for what you've done for us. Father, when we contemplate the scriptures and, and realize that you've made us alive when we were dead, we were in darkness and separated from you. When we were opposed to you, you made us alive. You, you loved us. You brought us back into fellowship with you. Father, we do worship you for what you've done because we couldn't do it for ourselves. We pray that as we leave this place and go about the things we do for the remainder of the week, that we would take this message of the gospel, that we would share it with those that we come in contact with because we know that the hearing of the word is how you effectively call people and, and regenerate them. And we thank you that you use us as your instruments. 
pray that you be with each one of us as we go and just give us opportunities to share the good news where we come into contact with people. Again, we pray for those who were mentioned tonight, Father, so many having surgeries and sicknesses, and we pray that you'd be with them, and especially with Pastor Jerry as he's away from home, and pray that you would just uh, strengthen him as he's in, into the middle of his studies and that you would help him to, to finish that well. Again, we thank you for your love for us. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, guys. <coughs>